Bring it in. Read option back on a Wednesday this week. Uh, we wanted to let all of the playoff games from Wildcard Weekend wrap up before we hopped on to record. And in addition to that, it also allowed us for the first time in probably almost two months, a full three-man booth. Scotty, Vito, and myself. Everyone's in. I'm excited. It's been a while. Scotty's back from a weekend up at the uh, in the mountains skiing. Vito is in Cleveland, uh, and uh, and I'm just doing the same shit I always do. So, boys, how are we? Great, man. That was such a weekend. Uh, great football. I mean, we'll get into all the games, but one of the more memorable again wild card weekends. It ended with uh, what it did on Monday night, but um, outside of that, there were just you know everything. Really, besides the first game and the last game, everything was a one-possession game. Um, and, man, it was it was a show. I, I found myself not doing anything but watching football and then celebrating how great football was after football was done at night on Saturday and Sunday. Scotty, what were, how was your weekend? How did you fit this in with skiing and everything? Well, I, I was up at uh, on a ski trip, physically not uh, able to ski, did a little tubing. You're on the pup uh, list. One of the days. Nice. Yeah, I'm on the I'm on the pup, but uh, – uh, return the ir dash r if you will um but no man we were up there with like 20 some odd people from all over the country watched the jags game with a couple of jaguars fans um and so it was just electric man so uh, a bunch of football fans in the house almost everybody who was there uh a lot of new friends who who i've made but almost everyone who was there who was a fan of an nfl team saw their team win uh, except one who was a, a dolphins fan uh, poor guy, but uh, they played a hell of a game. Um, they did, and so it was it was really cool to uh, to have that sort of weekend and and be able to bond with uh, with a bunch of people I did I just met the night before uh, via football that way. And that is the beauty of football, man. One hundred percent is like yeah. I Sunday yeah. I was at a bar uh, for most of the day on on Sunday watching the. Uh, the end of Dolphins Bills and then all of uh, Giants Vikings. And there was a, a whole crowd of, of Giants fans. And look, I bit my tongue. My boys are out resting, right? So I'm not going to, I'm not trying to start anything. But it is cool. Like one of the guys we were there with is a big Giants fan. He ended up racking up like a $250 uh, bar tab because we were, we were figuring it out at the end of the night. And we're like, wait, why are there five green tee shots and an additional five Jameson shots on this tab? And I'm like, Elliot, my buddy, I was like, dude, did you, I was like, you bought shots. Like you guys were all over doing shots. Like, did you buy all those? He goes, oh shit. Yeah, I did. And I'm yeah. like, well, that's what happens when your team that's wins how a you playoff know. game. Yeah. That's, you know, it's a great day. And he didn't know any of those guys. That's- they just were, they were just all wearing Giants gear. And we were in this one little kind of secluded part of the bar and they're ripping shots. And he's like, yeah, shit, I guess I did do that. And I'm you like, know- okay, that makes sense. It's like that with like football fans, like they need that with like football fans and shots and like stuff like that. It's like, yeah, you got a shot from a bar. That's great. Your team won. Pass it on. Go buy yeah. someone else a shot. Those are the commercials that's, they need to show. Those are the ones that are going to impact me the most. So I sure, got to hit them up. Uh, for sure. Dude, well, it was, the, it was the same way up on the mountain because like I, I was watching the Niners game. I, I would start doing this thing, um, especially in the second or, well, no, we started in the first half, but I was like, uh, every, everybody was drinking. So like take six drinks, 
uh, of your beer after, after the Niners scored a touchdown. So we got that going around the way. And then the two Jaguars fans I, I was hanging out with, by the way, I was plugging the pod all weekend. Shout out to Will, Mike, you guys, you Jacksonville fans who, uh, who are new listeners to the podcast. Appreciate you uh, tuning in. But, uh, but yeah, those guys, after we, after we, um, we watched the Jaguars win and their Jaguars fans just absolutely demolished some beers like together just and celebrating in a circle, just jumping up and down with the boys. It was, it was great, man. That's what you do, man. That's, that's what you do. That's what football is all about. And what was great was, I mean, look, we, I think in, in year number one of the seventh team in the playoff and super wild card weekend last year, it was a bit of a disappointment, right? We had, what was it chiefs uh, Steelers? That was an absolute like ass kicking. Uh, we had the Eagles getting shit pumped by the Bucks. We had the Cardinals getting blown out by the Rams. And we and the, the overall consensus was, and I heard a lot of smart people saying this, you know, are there really more than like six teams in the entire NFL that you think can actually win a Super Bowl on any given year? Uh, and, and most years, the answer is no. The answer is about six teams, right? Give or take. Uh, this year, because of how open-ended it's been, how the, the level of parity that we've seen, kind of the spread out chaos, the fact that we have three teams from one division in the uh, NFC playoff picture. Now it does kind of feel like anything can happen, but even still like Scotty and I talked about this, we had almost three double digit spreads going into Sunday. And with the exception of Monday night's game, even the Seahawks Niners Seahawks were winning that game at halftime. Yes. And, and if it wasn't for uh, a a couple of questionable calls and, and, and a key strip sack from the Niners, you know, who knows? That game could have ended up different. Like that was still a one score game going into the fourth quarter. The Niners end up putting it away. But I, I thought this weekend was a huge win for the NFL and a huge reason why it's actually I think it's a good thing to have this extra team in. It makes that one seed that much more valuable, which adds another kind of wrinkle into it. But, you know, there's going to be years <laughs> where a team like Seattle pulls off that upset against the superior team. And I think that adds for more entertainment. And obviously what we saw on Saturday night was uh, it, it will go down in the you know annals of, of football history as one of the best playoff comebacks, playoff moments um, that we'll ever see. So uh, yeah. I will, before we get into the games, we're going to work through chronologically like we always do, um, even though I do really want to talk about this Chargers-Jags game. Uh, what was the the number one highlight of the weekend for for both of you guys watching as fans? Obviously, like this is what we we watch all the games all year to get mm-hmm. to these weekends in January. What were the uh, what was the highlight for you? And for Scotty, pick something other than your team winning. Yeah, I, I think it's the uh, the success you had of guys like uh, I, I think I would highlight guys like Saquon, who this is their first crack at it and. Uh, not, not to be a, a Homer on the other side as a, as a Penn Stater, but like, those are the guys you want to see in those moments. And too often we see them get to that moment after years of trying and it's a dud, but Saquon took the moment and ran with it quite literally. And, and guys like that, uh, Trevor Lawrence, another one, uh, in, in the same sort of vein there. Um, I think, I think seeing that and, and this, all the young guys, even, even how Justin Herbert played for three and a, a half quarters uh, of that game. Like that's the, that's the excitement we, we want to see uh, in the NFL, especially now, like, look, the, the way that game went last night for, for the Bucks, 
nobody knows what the future of Tom Brady is. And the question always is, well, who's the next one, next man up? Who's the next superstar? And we have a couple in line. And and boy, did they show up in the in the wild card weekend of uh, of of the playoffs here. I, I thought for me, it hit to your earlier point, Jeff. For me, the best part was how, like, number one, how close a lot of these games were and how competitive they were. But the Jacksonville Jaguars, that comeback, and I know we'll get into it, but, like, that moment for me, like, there was a moment where I had some coworkers over. We were, we were hanging out, and at one point, like, we're all standing up right in front of the TV instead of sitting on the couch. We're all just in the face. We're screaming about the Jacksonville Jaguars. And I think everyone had that moment at this weekend. And those are the moments like the stand up screaming at your TV and celebration, like, Oh my God, that just happened. There's no way. And like those moments happened this weekend. I hope they continue to happen because those are rare. We've had too many of these greatest comebacks this year. This has been an incredible year. And the fact that we already had a game like this in the playoffs just says something. Yeah. And I think it means we're going to have more of it. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and along those same lines, it's the, it's the energy, and this this goes across all big-time sports in the postseason. And to me, it's like that quintessential March Madness feeling, right? When you're sitting there on the first day of the tournament and the 14 seed is beating the three seed, and you're sitting there and you're going, is this really – is St. Peter's really about to beat Kentucky? Like, is this actually about to happen? And for that me, like – That was a 15-2. That was a 15-2. <laughs> I know. I'm just – I was using that – Easy there, Scotty. Uh, but I was using, I, to me, that that moment hit me in the Miami-Buffalo game. When it was like every, because like in the first half of that game, we're seeing Josh Allen turn the ball over multiple times. Now, two of them weren't his fault. One of them was, but they all came in crucial moments. Or Cedric Wilson returning the ball back with like two minutes left in the first half, 60 yards and getting him down to field goal range. And, and you know, especially because the Bills got off to such a fast start and it's 17 to nothing. And we're thinking, oh, this is going to be a blowout. And somehow with Skylar Thompson and Jalen Waddle dropping three very catchable deep balls and Skylar Thompson's playing out of his gourd as a seventh round pick Brock Purdy, your seventh round pick. I can, I can show you, I can do something too, especially with how bad he looked against the jets the week before. And just that moment of sitting there around the table with a group of friends going like, is this seriously about to happen? Now, ultimately it doesn't, but anyone who watched that game, I mean, it was close down to the bitter end. And that's the kind of shit that you get from football in the playoffs. And you don't typically see it as much, not at least on super wild card weekend, not on wild card weekend. Um, but every couple of years you get those, you get those, you know, the beast quake type games and you get these, these legendary, you know, underdogs coming back and somehow pulling off a win against a superior team. And, and that to me is always like, that's the beauty of football, any given Sunday. And it, it's on full display, you know, on, uh, in the playoffs in these games, because look, you know, they're all professional athletes. They're all sick football players and any crazy amount of shit can happen in the postseason. So I, I thought this weekend was it's as good of a, of a wild card weekend as you could possibly have hoped for, even with a little bit of a dud on Monday night. Um, but there's still a lot to take away from that. And we'll get to that game a little bit later on. But let's dive into it. Let's start off here with your Niners here, Scotty. Um, they overcome a scare. The weather was like the big talking point going in and everyone's freaking out right because the Seahawks the only shot they had the only weakness on this Niners team is you know hey you can push them over the top a little bit right you can throw the ball deep on San Francisco uh and DK Metcalf looked like a man possessed in the entire first half of this game uh but with the weather coming in 
it was kind of like, well, hey, if this is going to be a run, ground and pound, sloppy, ugly field kind of game. I don't think the Seahawks must have much of a chance. And they put up 17 points in the second quarter, DK Metcalf playing like a man possessed. And, you know, they almost get a chance to, to, to steal this one. Of course, cooler heads prevail. The Niners, superior talent. Um, that's kind of what this Niners team does. The more I've been thinking about it, it's like Brock Purdy's doing enough. And I want to talk about Brock Purdy in a little bit. But it does feel like even in these close games, the game against the Raiders a couple weeks ago, right? They're, they're so talented that by the end of it, they end up pulling out. They find a way to just wait until there's one big quarter. There's one big series of plays where they hit you fast. They score quickly and you're sitting there like, shit, we have to play a perfect game. And we weren't able to do that because there's just so much talent that they have. Yeah, well, that's that's the beauty of it, right? You know, even watching in the first half, I had people around me going, uh-oh, what's going on? Even even partway through the third, I was I was, you know, texting with with friends from from San Francisco and uh, who are also Niners fans and and you know, even just objective people, uh fans around watching the game with me. And they were like, All right, you might be getting pretty nervous. And I was like, nah. Same thing. I was like, this happens, man. They did, they've done it like almost each of the last nine weeks uh, of the season. So, um, you know, I, 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 I think that a, a lot of it leans on the defense. But then going into it again, uh, we, we see the same thing that, that I was telling everybody in the pregame. I said, Brock doesn't have to be the hero, man. You've got Christian McCaffrey, who's one of the best backs in the league, if not the best this season. Uh, you've got Debo Samuel, who's healthy, who now they are starting to not only get him in rhythm, but get him back into the flow of, of um, some of the, the weird you know, formations that, uh, that we've seen Kyle Shanahan throw out there. And then you've got Kittle and Ayuk. So you don't have to be the hero. You don't have to force anything uh, if you're Brock Purdy. We didn't see that happen. It, was, it could have happened very easily, especially in the first half uh, with, how, with how poorly they were playing. Uh, and, and the Seahawks really dominating in the first half. But, um, you know, that those are the types of situations we saw Brock in college. Just that's where he's starting to force stuff. And it's pick, 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 pick. Yeah. And, and next thing you know, you're like, crap, we have to figure something out on offense because uh, now we're down three scores and it's it's not working. But, you know, credit to 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 Shanahan for for the coaching job that he's doing, telling Brock that he's. He doesn't have to to do everything or be the hero. He's got the stars around him and the defense playing just, I mean, electric football. I'm like Charverius Ward got dominated by uh by uh by DK Metcalf. But once the the defensive line was able to get to the ball, and credit to the Seahawks offensive line too, they played their probably their best game of the season in the first half. Yeah. Um but uh but once the the defensive line was able to get to the quarterback, uh, that's when you really started seeing seeing a, a the game turn around. Yeah, I want to I want to get to you because uh, I have a question for you, Vito, in a second. Um, but there's something I wanted to add to this because I was but going into this game, I was listening to Benjamin Solak, who works for the Ringer. Um, he's like he's like crazy young, but he's honestly he's going to be like the next Mina Kimes. Like he's he's such a really 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 brilliant, thoughtful football mind, um, and he does a really good job of explaining the game and. One of the things I heard him talking about going into this game, which is something I went back and rewatched a couple of the last games that the Niners had played to kind of, you know, confirm um, what's so deadly, right? Because here's the thing, right? In layman's terms, you say, oh, well, they have 
Debo Samuel and Christian McCaffrey and Brandon Ayuk and Kittle and Juszczyk, and they have all these weapons. So, you know, it's easy on Brock Purdy. And it's like, well, that's a very basic in a short window on TV, on get up, like you have to fit it in there. But what does that mean, right? Like how does Kyle Shanahan take all that talent and translate it into really, really smart, like effective football? How does that make it easier for Brock Purdy? And the way Solak explained it is, they come out in a, in 21 personnel, right? So they have two running backs in Christian McCaffrey and Kyle Juszczyk, and who's considered a back, right? And then you have one tight end, George Kittle, Ayuk, Debo. So you have all five of those guys. And in one play, you can set up with a two tight end set, one running back, one wide receiver, one wide receiver with Juszczyk playing your other tight end and run old school, ground and pound, West Coast, Mike Shanahan style offense, if you want to go that route, or if you want to go the West Coast route, you can do that. And then the very next play, you can spread out empty backfield, five spread with the exact same unit without having to make any substitutions and being able to move up tempo. And defensively, trying to defend that without being having the luxury of substitutions, right? Because if the offense doesn't sub anybody, the defense has to keep the guys they have on the field. You move up tempo with that, there's nothing the defense can do, and they're going to have to constantly either adjust on the fly or set themselves up where there's going to be holes. And this offense is just going to be able to continue to score points. And to me, that's the, the two most important pieces there are Christian McCaffrey and Kyle Juszczyk. Having a guy like Kyle Juszczyk that you can – have be a fullback in an old school style offense you can set them up in the slot like a tight end or you can put them on the line of scrimmage and let them block is such an outrageous advantage uh compared to what other teams have and then christian mccaffrey is is the one that makes the whole thing spin right because he's so dangerous as a receiver he's so dangerous as a traditional running back uh and you can run any formation you want without having to change anybody out on the field and when it was put in that terms and then you you actually watch a drive and you watch the different formations they'll switch in and out of they might do five different formations on the same drive and keep it up tempo and the next thing you know the defense is sitting there like i don't know what to fucking do <laughs> which is like i i give the the Seahawks so much credit that they were able to actually defend that style of offense for three quarters basically um until obviously the fourth quarter the Niners were able to break that open um that's Vito, great that's a great analysis because it's like before Madden had auto sub and it was just like yeah, yeah all our guys are gonna stay out of here yeah and it's just and when you put it in that perspective it's like yeah how the fuck do you defend this unless you have you know 11 Derwin James is on the field right and, and guys who can just do a million different things it's it's basically impossible uh, which is why this offense has has put up what th- out of out of his this is his seventh start sixth start, Scotty sixth, I think. was this his sixth start sixth yeah five out of six starts they've scored over thirty points, that's which is outrageous and the only time they didn't was that's against insane. the Seahawks, so it, it's going to become increasingly more difficult to try to defend this team as the season goes on because it's so unpredictable. Um, but Vito, my question for you, and and Brock Purdy struggled in the first quarter in this game. It was the first time he's he hasn't looked good. Uh, and it kind of bled into the second quarter a little bit too. Really, the first half wasn't great. He turned it on the second half. The first half wasn't great for Brock. Who does he remind you of? Like, go back as our, as our history expert, right? Because obviously his story is unprecedented. Mm-hmm. But when you watch him play, strip away the story, trip, strip away the context, strip away the jerseys. You know, you have player X running around on the field. What quarterback does he remind you of? Because I have somebody in mind for me, and I've heard a couple other ones, but I was really curious to ask you this question. 
Wow, that's a really that's a really good question. So for some reason, who came to mind was like five years into his career, Trent Green. I don't know if you guys remember Trent Green. Yeah, I, I I feel like him. Like he was just so efficient, so quick. Um, he got the ball out. He was a presence. Like he was he was a leader. And so it didn't matter. Like he had a lot of good people around him, but he just led that team. Um, he was with Priest Holmes and he had Dante Hall and it was a good Chiefs team. And, and he did a great job with that team. Uh, I think before that he was even on with the Rams. So like he's, he's been great. And I, I think it's just for some reason, it's Purdy's presence. You, if you watch him, you can tell like, it's impressive that he's a rookie. Yeah. It's he's impressive. Called. He's well, he's played a shitload of football, you know, like yeah. and that's kind of the thing. You have these guys who you're Trey Lance's who, played bare basically a season in an extra game at the FCS level, but are uber talented athletes. And then you have guys like Brock Purdy who've just played a shitload of football, man. And they've, they've, they've played thousands and thousands of snaps in college and, and high school and, and just have a little bit more experience um, playing. The, so the one that I heard uh, someone else say was uh, Rich Gannon on the Raiders. Okay. Okay. Which I saw, but you know, the one that came to mind for me was Chad Pennington. I, I, okay. I could see that, you know, especially like, where I, he's targeting, especially yeah. where he's targeting and what he's doing. Yeah. Like not super Chad great Pennington, arm strength. When Chad Pennington huh, retired, by the way, one. it's not the case anymore, but he had the highest completion percentage in NFL history when he retired. Yeah. Before, yeah. Before Sam Bradford. Um, that was what came to me, especially cause like Chad Pennington. And now I'll say this Brock Purdy's a better athlete. Chad Pennington was, mm-hmm. was slow as dirt. Definitely. Um, and, and he didn't have the arm. But it's, but it's, and, and even, but Brock Purdy doesn't even have that big of an arm, you know, like a, but it's, there's, there's just kind of like a a smoothness to it that Chad Pennington was always like out quick, hit your read, run the offense the way that it's supposed to be. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. And and Rich Gannon was kind of the same way. He was a little bit better of an athlete. Um, But then as he got older, when he was with the Raiders, he was, he, he couldn't move as much. Right. Like the, the year that they went to the Super Bowl, Right. And they lost to the Bucks, like, that team, that that rich guy, and he was an MVP at one point too. But yeah. he was a better athlete, but wasn't like as dynamic as he was. But it was again not a big arm, a little bit smaller. Um, so it's interesting. Trent Green's a great I, was a great cop I, too. But they, it's funny that you say that because like I, I think that Trent Green and Rich Gannon play alike, and like some of those guys, like th- those are three styles that are very quick, efficient, get it out. So yeah, we're it's funny how like you can ask different things and you string a line through all these quarterbacks, and like yeah, this guy's on this trajectory. He he yeah. feels like he's about this, and like it's just so impressive. He's already operating this quickly. And you're right; he didn't have a good first half. The fact that he bounced back in the playoffs, like it was good he was at home, but that's still impressive and yeah. and really turned it on. I mean, this this wasn't even close. Like in the fourth quarter, it, it was close, but. When they scored early in the fourth quarter, um, the Niners, it, it was just a whole different game. And then they just put the foot on the gas and it was over. Yeah. And and, and so I, I do want to I kind of want to turn this back to you, Scotty, too, because the way I the way I, I watched this game. Right. And and going back and rewatching the game, because I, I had a pretty busy weekend. So I, I sat down on Monday and rewatched each one of these games. Um, and from what I gathered watching it. I feel like there's a little, like if I'm a Niners fan, that's obviously want to ask you this forever. I feel still confident, but I do feel like there might be a little bit of a crack somewhere, you know, cause look Seahawks division rival, you can chalk it up to that bad weather, whatever, but there have been a lot of what I would call Tua throws, which were throws that were, should have been intercepted, but weren't. 
um, throws that were got caught and ended up being big plays, but are just a little bit of a sliver away from that being an interception going the other way. Right. And he's kind of getting a little bit, I don't want to say luck, but he's just kind of skating by and he's been on the right side of it each time. Um, and we saw a little bit of that kind of, Hey, a little bit of adversity, not great weather struggling the first half, the bounce back is huge and that still gives you confidence. But is there any part of you now six and O with a seventh Mr. Irrelevant last pick in the draft uh, rookie that you're thinking, you know what, there, there might be more of an opening or a little bit more reason for concern here than maybe I had before. I think so, but I don't know that it's necessarily laying entirely in Brock. Um, right. Because a lot of the times when you see those throws is when the offensive line breaks down and he's running around trying to fight for his life. We saw it against Seattle who, who got a, a real good push early um, after Christian McCaffrey didn't touch the ball for like almost all the entire first quarter. Um, Seattle, or Seattle's defensive line was able to pressure off the left side against Trent Williams, which was surprising enough um, uh, because on the right side, Mike McGlinchey has been an absolute sieve all, all season long. So when those two things break down and your tackles on the outsides are, are, are getting pushed off the line, then, Where's he got to go? He scrambles one way. He's got to turn around back, scramble the other way to the outside of the field. And that's when you see those, those throws. Um, to that, to that, that you're point, talking about. And this is kind of why I was leading, like going over this question. Presumably they played Dallas. They played, we know they played Dallas this week. Presumably Eagles win. They're in the NFC championship game. If they beat Dallas and then play Philly, that means it would be back-to-back weeks against number one and number two in the NFL and pass rush win, win rate. So you're going up against the two best defensive yep. lines who don't need to send extra guys to generate pressure, meaning and, and Seattle was kind of middle of the pack towards bottom third there, right? So that's kind of what I'm saying here. It's like in a perfect pocket, not getting a lot of pressure, Brock Purdy's going to deliver you dime after dime. But the next two weeks, again, assuming the Eagles get there, and even if it is the Giants, you still have Dexter Lawrence, who's become a one-man wrecking crew in the middle, uh, and you have Kayvon Thibodeau on the outside. And if Ojalari comes back, uh, you have another great pass rusher on the other side there. So no matter who they end up playing of the three other teams in the NFC remaining, you're going to be facing a really elite-level pass rusher. And and the other thing, too, is I think – in the playoffs, it's cliche, but being at home helps like that. For sure. I don't think that happens that way in Philadelphia. I, I just, I don't, uh, because that's, that's where the, the home field plays such a big part in, uh, in the playoffs. Vito, anything to add? Not really. I mean, I, I'm just excited to see more of this football. I mean, he's going to be one to watch for sure because Burrow, right? Like, had an incredible run to get into the playoffs and had that incredible streak last year. And now we're seeing this run. That's pretty incredible. And I'm not trying to compare the two um, in terms of like talent or anything like that or uh, futures, but like you can, I do. I I think, yeah, right. Scotty. But no, I do (laughs) think that there's something to note that like, we're seeing something special here. So keep note because this could be very comparable to burrow. And I don't know how far this will go, but like if he rides this out with this talented team, we could see a similar success. All due respect to Brock Purdy, his name and Joe Burrow's name do not belong in the same sentence. In, in the in, in, in the way, but they do when you're talking about the two quarterbacks that'll be in the Super Bowl. Just winning. Just wait for that. Well, I, I'm talking about winning and success. 
if, right? if, I mean, if we're talking about like the journey that both teams on and the positions that they both play in the NFL, then yeah, sure. I understand yeah. what you're saying, but yeah. Joe Burrow did so much to carry that team. Whereas right. I think very in, different in, in this context, we're looking at Brock Purdy being like, can he continue this kind of holding on by a thread in some cases and making the, like, making the play, but just barely in time. Like I, that's why I'm like, cause this Niners team is terrifying, but at that quarterback position, which again, if you're going to Philly now, best case scenario for the Niners is the giants upset the Eagles and the Eagle and, and they get past Dallas and they have a bad, you know, that defense forces Dak into a million turnovers and they can win using their defense first and foremost. And then they get a home playoff game in the NFC championship game against the giants. Like that's the best case scenario. Um, yeah. But if they have to go to Philly and play that defensive line. Now the nice thing. And like I was, we went through that whole offense that that whole spiel about the San Francisco offense and how it's set up. The Eagles won't have to send extra guys to generate pressure. So if you are going to try to guard this unguardable offense, having more guys dropped into coverage is going to help you out more so than, you know, you know, sending guys, unless you're Wink Martindale and you just send the blitz every fucking time, which he's <laughs> one to do. Uh, before we move on to the next game, I do want to quickly give a shout out to the Seattle Seahawks. Unbelievable season from them. Like, I obviously it doesn't end yeah. the way they wanted, but considering the expectations, they get the number five overall draft pick. Um, <laughs> and, and it's wild, right? Like that, that what a season. What and, a season. And they move off and, of Russell Wilson and they watch what everything that happened in Denver. And they have a guy that they're going to be able to pay on an affordable contract with a young team. Um, and if they want to go up and, and trade up and to the number one pick, if Chicago is willing to trade it, you know, they have the draft capital from what they got from Denver if they yeah. want to make that move, go up and get Bryce Young or CJ Stroud, then they can have him play and learn under Geno Smith. And now you have a good nucleus with a young quarterback and a veteran quarterback, and you can still be competitive at a high level. And that for sure is a really rare place to be in the NFL. And they just made the fucking postseason, which is yeah. amazing. And I think they're three or four years, uh, perhaps more ahead of schedule, just based on yeah. where we thought they were going oh, into yeah. the season. I mean, oh, this yeah. time yeah. last year, I think we, we were having debates about Pete Carroll versus Russell Wilson. Which one are you getting rid of? Yeah. And uh, we were also saying at the beginning of the year, think about it. A lot of people had him ranked like 32. I did. So I'm just saying right now, I mean, that was definitely yeah. a wishful thinking a little bit clearly of who I wanted to be better in that situation, but shout out to Seahawks. <laughs> they killed it. I mean, they, they, they were bottom. It, they were bottom three for me, man. Like I had, yeah. I had Chicago as my 13, 32. And I had them at 31. So, I mean, I, I was in the same boat. I, I had them record-wise as one of the worst teams in football. So, uh, yeah, no matter what, you end the season with a 500 record, including the playoffs, over 500 in the regular season, um, and you beat all the odds. And it's kind of nice that they lost here, too, because they're still going to get a pick. What, they'll be like 20, 19th or 20th or something like that. So, they're still going to end up with a really good draft pick uh, for their own pick in the first round. Uh, all right, let's talk about the craziest game. Um I was trying to rack my brain because obviously like we've seen like nothing will ever top 28 to three, right? That's the most right. insane comeback of all time. This doesn't even top from a numbers perspective, what we saw 36, nothing against the Colts earlier this year, but it's not that far off, uh, which is crazy. However, this I think goes in the same category as the Colts chiefs game, Andrew Luck bringing back. I forget what the score was in that. Do you remember what, off the top of your head what that was, Vito? I think it was I think like 2015. 
Yeah, I think it was, it was, it was definitely above 20. No, it was like, it must've been 30 something. It was, it was the second biggest comeback of all time behind the game. I would refer to even the, the bills game where Frank Reich had led him back. There um, it is. So Colts, Colts were down 38 to 10. Uh, and yes, they were at halftime yeah. at halftime. Um, so numbers wise was about the same, but at least they had mm-hmm. some offense. They end up coming back, uh, 45 to 44, um, second largest playoff comeback of all time. Um, this goes right up there, right? Um, this goes down is like, this was the 2013 playoffs, uh, which was Andrew Luck's second season in the NFL. Um, I, yeah, or no, what? Yeah, I think it was the second season. I don't think it was his rookie. Wild. Um, either way, like that's a game that like, I remember watching that game very vividly. I, I remember exactly where I was watching that game. And I think this this Chargers uh, Jags game is going to go down in a similar type of lore. I mean, uh, everything from five intercepts or five turnovers from Trevor Lawrence in the first half, four interceptions, um, three to Asante Samuel Jr. alone. Uh, the Chargers looked like absolute world beaters. Right. And they had a chance to score more points there before the half didn't get it done. And it said the Jags were able to capitalize, get some points in before halftime, and then start what has become one of the most impressive playoff comebacks and moments I've ever seen. And also huge shout out to the Jacksonville fans who did not leave the stadium, did not give up the whole time. Uh, as we're learning, I think Jacksonville is a really, really weird and hard place to play uh, in the NFL. I think it's just the energy the crowd, everything, it's, it was an unbelievable, unbelievable game. Doug Peterson knows how to push the buttons, man, like in bit, in really crucial moments, going for two when he went for two. They didn't have to do that, but they did because he felt the momentum and he knew he had a good chance of getting it done, and he did, and it was such a huge freaking play call. Um, and that's the same guy who calls for the Philly special, right, on the goal line in the first half because it's not just pressing the buttons when it's, a minute left and you're in the red zone and you're out of timeouts. And what do we do? Like it's, it's when do I press the button in the third quarter? When do I press the button in the second quarter that I feel like is going to help get us back in this game? No, it it was in history context to me, this is the greatest playoff game I've ever outside the Super Bowl playoff game. This is number one for me. Really? Um, And yeah, yeah. I, the one from what I've seen in my life, like this was it. Uh, Biggest comeback in terms of like, this was just insane. And I think comparing back to the Bills game, they were down 35 or something at one point, or 31 or 35, it was somewhere in between there. And like, it's up there with that where the hope was gone. If you are here, because the situation is important, right? As you were watching this, everyone went through the same point where in the game, like after the first half, even early in the first after the the fourth ter- like interception, or um, you were like, "This is uh, this is one of the craziest things we've ever seen." At that point, I remember. I think it takes you guys. It takes a lot of people. Like the record six by Brett Favre. I think yeah. we might see that broken. Like this, this could happen. And <clears throat> I've like because usually you'll keep throwing, but you'll lose. And what he did in order to turn his game around, he was not like he said in an interview afterwards. He felt like one of them was bad, or maybe it's two of them, and the other two got tipped and stuff maybe but like they were in my opinion like that was just a bad performance and he turned that game around so much um and and everyone at the same point was texting each other just being like what the hell is going on like this is a blowout i can't believe this and yeah credit to jags fans i i like i don't understand 
the level that they were probably getting shit for because I know that like if you're at a bar wearing a Jags jersey and this game is happening, people are like, bro, that sucks, right? All yeah. that stuff. And then you're standing there. And then at the end of the whole night, you're screaming, going crazy, and everyone's not your best friend, but you're the one. Like, that is such a turnaround of a, of a night. And being the night game, I think, was important. And I think it was a great, great, great game in the history of the NFL playoffs. I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, th- this game um, was about as, as entertaining as, as a football game gets, right? And, and what's great is that the comeback started in the, sec- in the second quarter. Um, that's kind of when it felt like, all right, 27, nothing. Do they have any sort of life left? They score before the end of the, before halftime. Right. Um, that to me was like, all right, they have something to build on going into the second half. Um, what's a, the, the number one, most amazing thing coming out of this game, Trevor Lawrence, like this could have been career altering, right? You're talking about at, at, yeah. in the first quarter, like, right, is he going to break the interception record? held by Brett Favre with six in the game? Um, or does he find a way to dig deep and somehow make this respectable? The, the idea of coming back and winning the game seems so far-fetched, and yet they found a way to do it. Um, there's a Did bunch- you see he went to a Waffle House after the yeah. win? Which is yeah, the best. Yeah, I mean, that is so cool. <laughs> I, Trevor Lawrence, like the confidence, and look, maybe that comes as a dude who's literally in his entire life never lost a football game on a Saturday which that is a stat that I wish I had known going into this, though. I did oh, take I, the, I, I took the Jag. So, I mean, I, I felt good about it either way, but I, dude, I double and tripled down on them as that went. What a night, <laughs> but you know, in, in years past when he was in college at Clemson, there's the LSU national championship game where they're getting blown out. Right. And it felt kind of similar to this, like Trevor Lawrence didn't look great yeah. in big games. And it was this like, to, to have the confidence and so much of that comes from having a head coach that believes in you, which is why like, what Doug Peterson has done with that organization is out of this world impressive. Uh, the other thing, the offensive line from Jacksonville, they gave up two sacks this whole game. They shut Joey Bosa down to the extent that, yeah, I mean, I know that the offsides or neutral zone infraction call versus the, the fumble or, or versus the false start. Like it probably was a false start. It, it's those, those plays are so hard in real time to actually figure out. And I understand why Joey Bosa was as pissed off as he is. But you could, I mean, the frustration on his face, yeah. slamming his helmet. Brandon Stelly picks up the helmet and gives it back to him, and he just throws it down again. Like, yeah. he was clearly at, like, beyond <laughs> furious. Um, but the offensive line for Jacksonville, who, you know, when they signed Cam Robinson, I remember th- I said, I was like, why, why are you franchise tagging Cam Robinson? Like, he was a first round draft pick. He's not a bust, but he's not really a, he's maybe top 12 at his position at best. And you're going to pay him like a top six player in his position, uh, at least for this year, getting just adults in the room, Brandon Scherf, right? Like guys like that, getting just adults in the room when they needed it was so big. The offensive line played great. You said it veto getting Travis Etienne involved, running the football, showing a commitment to that, but then also showing the faith in your quarterback that like, Hey, we're not going to give up here. Um, and on the opposite side, the Chargers did the opposite. The Chargers not once – well, I shouldn't say did the opposite. They did the same thing when they should have done the opposite, right? They should have committed to the run with Austin Eckler. They should have not trusted Justin Herbert to throw the ball an additional 20 times in the second half when you're up 27 to nothing. 
even 27 to seven at that point, milk the clock. Why are you snapping the ball with 20 seconds left on the play clock? The amount going back and watching the replay where they cut out the dead time. I kept an eye every single time in the second half, they were snapping the ball with 20, 25, 17, like all throughout the whole time there. If you added all of that cumulative time up in the second half, the, the Jags do, literally do not have enough time left in the game to come back the way they did without like forcing, getting a pick six or forcing more turnovers. And it, it's this a Joe Lombardi deserves, I think the line share of the credit or, or, or um, blame. I blame. should say. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. But Justin Herbert deserves some blame here too. And Brandon Staley deserves a lot, right? Yeah. Why Mike Williams is playing in week 18. I don't know. Uh, Vito, you'll love this. There was a big story that came out on the, um, well, well, I think it was a fourth down play. Uh, oh no, it was the fumble that they, that they lost. Um, mm -hmm. It was uh, a Jets. It, so essentially it's like, it was like an ISO run up the middle on third and short. And if Trevor Lawrence didn't like the play, he gave a kill call, right? And the kill call is then a jet sweep who is normally supposed to be Mike Williams, but Mike Williams wasn't playing. So then it was supposed to be DeAndre Carter. DeAndre Carter was hurt and wasn't playing in this game. So it ended up being, I believe, um, oh, who uh, I'm sure, oh, Trey McKitty, who was a practice squad player who they had to activate in this game, who had never run this play. Now, they had run that kill call four times this year for a combined negative 21 yards. Wow. And so in one so of the why biggest, are you calling it? <laughs> in one of the biggest moments of the game, wow. they with a third string practice squad wide receiver playing in what should be Mike Williams spot. And because Brandon Staley fucked that up and then DeAndre Carter got banged up in the game, you're now down to your third string wide receiver. Justin Herbert does exactly what he's supposed to do because he's a yeah. robot and that's how he operates. He does the technically correct thing every single time. And that is the one thing with Herbert that I'm like, I need him to get a little bit more creative with shit, right? Like, I, I, yeah, up. but I, I I agree. But at the same point, I blame. See, that's even more on the coach. I mean, no, no, you that plays not that on out. him. That plays not on him. The overthrow no, of the end right. zone to the yes. wide open no, Keenan oh Allen, God. like that's on that's <laughs> that's where Justin Herbert deserves some blame. And he did as much as again as much as he could, but there's only so much he could do in that moment. No, you're right. He he definitely had some moments where it was like, man, what's going on? The 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 I don't know. It seemed like uh, almost like the yips went from Trevor Lawrence over to him. Like it was it was just a crazy, I don't know. It was a crazy transformation of play because missing wide open targets in the end zone, like he he took points off the the like off of the game for his team, right? Like in the second half, he took points off. Not saying that other people would have made those whatever some people definitely would have in the nfl and and not everyone is him but he he didn't have to go superstar mode and he didn't make even i don't know average pro quarterback mode so there was definitely a problem in the second half with his performance too from the time perspective i mean what i'm always thinking scotty and you you have a team that like runs like this right and it's just like you're also like aren't you also kind of not built for like yeah you have you have you know, one of the great young quarterbacks in Herbert, but you also have Eckler who's been dominating so many rushing yeah. touchdowns. He's been killing it. What happened there? Like, I, I feel like they would, they, they kind of went away and were throwing a lot and maybe that was yeah. the game plan, a lot of high percentage. But for me, that was like something I, I was noticing too, along with the time, Jeff. But every time that they've done that this season, they've looked not great, especially when Mike Williams is not on the field. 
um, especially when that that is the case. Eckler had 13 for 35. He did have two touchdowns, but the reason they got where they were in like the middle third of the year is because Eckler was just running over everyone. And you say, hey, commit to the run, fine. And then we'll let Justin Herbert throw for 270 yards a game with like 40 completions because he he was doing high percentage stuff. That's what I said on the podcast last week is for the Chargers to win, they have to commit to Eckler running the ball. For the Jaguars to win, they have to commit, not fully, but they have to commit to Travis Etienne running the ball successfully. And they did so with, uh, with a great performance by the offensive line. The other thing I want to point out too for the for the Jaguars offense that uh, I, I mean just they got absolutely castrated for for the signings they made in the offseason with pass catchers Evan Ingram's uh, one year nine hundred dollar deal um, uh, Christian Kirk's four year seventy two million dollar deal Zay Jones uh, three year twenty four million dollar deal so they've committed one hundred and five million dollars to these three players. And all they did in the biggest game of, or, uh, of w- one of the biggest games of the Jaguars franchise was make 23 catches and get 245 of the 288 total receiving yards and get three touchdowns. I mean, to, for them to show up for that, for that moment, I, I mean, that's huge for Jacksonville. Huge. Uh, for the, especially for the way that they got absolutely just, just carved up a new one because of, uh, of, the, the ridiculous sounding contracts with those guys. So shout out to you guys, Will and Will and Mike, my Jacksonville guys, man, you got something there. Absolutely. And, and look, it's a weird, whenever you have things like this, and obviously like when we talked about the Colts and Minnesota one, it's different because the Colts are a garbage team and Minnesota was obviously a fraudulent team as we'll talk about in a little bit, but um, we're at least far more talented. This is weird because it's in the postseason, and you want to give Jacksonville all the credit in the world and they deserve a ton of it. But there was also some just flat out male practice going on here with the, how the chargers ran. And none of that is to take away anything from Jacksonville. And you said, right. Will and Mike, was that your two friends? Scotty? Yeah. Will and yeah. Mike, welcome to the pod and congrats to your boys. Uh, that, that it's awesome. And I've been jagging off all year. I've loved this Jags right. team, um, but that's right, bro. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but it's just a weird, it's weird to come back and forth. Like to me, like there's a little bit of blame that goes on everybody. I think some of it comes from Staley. Joe Lombardi was fired already. Yeah, so he's Joe, gone. He's gone. <laughs> um, go get Cliff Kingsbury though. I, I think he's still out in Thailand right now. He got a one-way ticket to Thailand and, and isn't coming back, which you know what? Hey dude, $30 million. <laughs> yeah. uh, go have fun out in Thailand with your like best firing of all. Can you imagine they're like, you can't come to work tomorrow. Here's $30 million. I would be like, oh, the American dream, dream. Yeah. the true American dream is to be a fired football coach in the college or NFL level. You make so much money. It's ridiculous. Um, but I, I look at this and like, you got to get somebody in there, man. And, and there's another aspect to this looking long-term with the chargers here too. The amount of people calling like crazy for, Oh, well they have to fire Staley. Like how does Staley even have his job? Do you know anything about the Chargers? Do you know that they're a tenant in their own stadium? Do you know that financially they are not in a position to be able to fire a coach that they just hired two years ago, let alone a trade assets, which historically they never trade 
first round, second round draft picks to go get a guy like Sean Payton and then pay him however much he's going to command, which is going to be one of the top five highest paid coaches in the NFL. Do you actually think that the Chargers are capable of doing that? Because the answer is no, they're not. So Brandon Staley's going to be there. And I think Brandon Staley's a good coach. Brandon Staley took everything that happened last year, the criticisms for going on it on fourth and eight on his own 37 yard line and dialed it back. He was statistically one of the less aggressive coaches from that analytical standpoint, as we've seen, but people know that about Brandon Staley. So that's where people jump to in criticizing this game. To me, this was inexperience. This was a guy who spent one year as a defensive coordinator in the NFL uh, and, and spent one year as a defensive coordinator in college before being a head coach in the NFL. Not to say he didn't have other experience coaching, not to say he's not a smart guy, but he has to learn more of this feel stuff. The stuff that Doug Peterson is elite at, a guy who's spent 50 years around football, that Brandon Staley just doesn't have that experience right now. And so you look at the rosters, and yeah, the Chargers are a better, are, are a better roster more talent across the board, better quarterback, even though that gap might end up getting smaller over time. But the coaching staff, the guy leading you, is a guy who's gone toe-to-toe with Bill Belichick in a Super Bowl and made the gutsiest play call other than Sean Payton doing an onside kick. I mean, those are the number one and number two in Super Bowl history. Yeah. Um, it's just no, like just at this point, that. that's where the game came down to. It was a coach who can maximize his roster versus a coach who can do a lot of things but just doesn't have the experience to get them to that win yet. I agree. The thing you always got to think when you're going to fire you, when you're asking to fire coaches, who's the guy? And to your point, all right, Sean Payton. Great. Let's talk about getting them and acquiring him. Right. And and you have a team, by the way, like the Broncos, they have new, they have new owner money. They're ready. They reportedly are offering up what 28 was the first number that got thrown out there for Sean Payton a year. So like they don't care, right? They're, these are the Walmart owners. They don't care. They're printing money. Yeah. So to, to, but to your point, yes, it wasn't his best performance. I think you can move forward with him as your coach. I do think your offensive coordinator is extremely important in who you hire. And I, I would actually go get, <clears throat> I would pay good coordinator money to go get someone experienced that's been around that kind of brings that steady presence just for Staley's sake. Like, I think that should be part of it is like, we need someone veteran in here. And again, it's not to knock on them. It's just a compliment. It's like when you build your own team, you want complimenting pieces. There's something, yeah, sometimes having a good young staff is great, but like, like even look at the Lions, right? We love their staff and they have different, they have people from all different ages. They're all old players, but they all play in different eras and different positions. And I think, I think just having a mix um, of age in there and experience in the NFL, to your point, would help this team. I, you know, it's crazy. I just like digging up, so going through some of the stats and some of the stuff. Bill Barnwell did a really good piece on this on ESPN, um, just talking about like the main reason why each of these games from this weekend ended up the way that they did. Um, the average starting position for the Chargers in this game was the 41 yard line. Wow. They had three possessions start in the red zone, and they yeah. settled, they settled for field goals. And ultimately, and that's what he said, which is really smart. The Packers lost to Seattle in 2014, right? The Russell Wilson overtime touchdown pass. The Saints losing to the Rams on the uh, C.J. Gardner-Johnson pass interference no-call penalty, right? Um, or pass interference, whatever. I forget how it all played out. But those are the same things where the better team dominated early but settled for field goals instead of executing in the red zone. 
And that's why like that Justin Herbert overthrow in the red zone was so crucial. Um, and, and look, what sucks for the Chargers, if you're a Chargers fan right now, is that the perfect coach for you and the, and the perfect situation for Sean Payton is the Chargers. But your ownership and your situation as a franchise will forbid that from happening. And there will be teams who will pay him significantly more money to go out and, and be their head coach. And the Chargers just aren't going to be one of those teams um, that'll make this change. Historically, it's not something that they do. Uh, and they don't – they never trade – First round picks. I, I think it's, it's been like rare. 20 years since they've drafted a first round. It pick. was John Gruden when they traded a first round pick to get him, which is crazy from the Raiders to the Bucks. Um, but uh, what's crazy about this too, for from their whole perspective, is um, what they're going to have to deal with this offseason and their players. And again, like what they're going to have to go through in terms of free agency. I'm, I'm interested to see, like, keep an eye on the Chargers this offseason because I think they're they're going to be in a position where if Brandon Staley keeps his job, they, everyone's going to be pushing this franchise to start winning. And I wonder what that's going to do to the GM and, and to Staley, and we'll see what happens. I mean, there's there are guys out there, man. Like, there's guys like Mike Kafka who spent a bunch of time in, with Andy Reid and was a, you know, QB coach for the Eagles and for uh, Kansas City and then went over to Buffalo and then came with Dayball from Buffalo to the Giants, got the offensive coordinator job, and look what he's done with Danny Dimes. Like, there are guys out there that you got to find. Joe Lombardi ain't it, right? Bill O'Brien's um, still floating out there somewhere, I think, at Alabama. <laughs> it could, could be, though. I think we're going to see him make a return to, to New England, if anywhere. Um but I so, like too. I said, I think there's a, a we're going to see a new offensive coordinator in there. Brandon Staley, like, and this is what, and I'll make one last thing here because we've got to move on to the next, we've got to take a break and then yeah. move on to the next topic. But um, Brandon Staley, and this is something that bothers me about the modern NFL. Uh, and Vito, you've talked about this before. Teams are so fast and so quick to fire head coaches and move on, right? We saw Nathaniel Hackett get fired within his first season. Urban Meyer, obviously a unique set of circumstances. But in the last few years, Steve Wilkes, right? We saw what he did in Carolina this year, but he got fired after his first year. We've seen the Texans do it in back-to-back years with David Culley and Lovey Smith. Teams are not willing to commit to coaches for longer than a year or two because the owners know now and front offices know now that, yes, in the NFL, you can turn a team around faster than you've ever been able to before. Look at the Philadelphia Eagles, right? Um, look at the Cincinnati Bengals after drafting Joe Burrow. Yeah. Look at the Buffalo look Bills. Look at the like, Jags this year. Yeah, it can take. Incredible. It can be a two-year process, and all of a sudden, you can be one of the best teams in the NFL. However, what that does from a negative standpoint is it takes someone like Brandon Staley, who's incredibly intelligent, who is a really good schematic mind, but just doesn't have the experience in him as a game manager, right? Um, and it will prevent guys like that from getting more experience. Because I'm telling you, if they committed to him for five years, like was like five years years used to be like the minimum as a head coach. You used to get like minimum four, five years, and if you were really bad, you got fired after the fourth year. Now it's it can be one year and done. And for someone like Brandon Staley, there's been enough signs of progress. Nine and eight his first year, ten and seven his second year. Justin Herbert's been one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL over that time. You got to let him grow and develop and lose some of these games and be in these situations, because if he's a good head coach and I think that he is, he's going to learn from it. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll knock out the Sunday games and Monday night. and We'll get you guys on your way to the rest of the week. Sunday's playoff games, uh, starting off with 
the one o'clock game from Sunday. Dolphins, Bills. Uh, we touched, I touched on a little bit at the beginning, right? This game, 13 and a half point spread, was not supposed to be close at all. Um, and you know what? Shout out to the Miami Dolphins. And in particular, shout out to Skylar Thompson. I know he didn't <laughs> play his best game, but Jalen Waddell, and I said this, dropped three wide open. Well, one was contested, but the other two were wide open deep balls that were like game changing type plays that your first round draft pick, seventh in the league in receiving yards, supposed to be one of these best wide receivers, absolutely has to make that catch. And he did, he dropped it three times. Um, and like, if those plays happen, obviously, like, I still think the Bills win, but we're looking at this Bills team, right? And you, in my eyes, you can take it one of two ways. They were that close to almost losing to the Dolphins? Or, goddamn, this Bills team always finds a way to win close games. With the exception of the Minnesota game, which was as fluky and bizarre as any game we've seen. And I'm kind of, I'm kind of split, because... Scotty and I did our picks and we didn't have you on, but we went through our brackets and I have Buffalo winning the Super Bowl, like redoing our, our like playoff brackets. Yeah. And I, I still feel like there's going to be this kind of superpower thing floating around. Um, but one of the things that Bill, Bill Simmons, who's someone I've listened to for a long time has what he calls his playoff manifesto, right? Which is this set of rules that betting rules essentially um, to help guide you through the NFL playoffs. And one of them is beware of the team that that won in the first round, but either looked really good or not that good, right? If the team looked really, really good in the first game, you might want to try fading them in the second, i.e. the Dallas Cowboys. If you have a team that looked eh, kind of shaky in the first round, you might want to hammer them in the second round because they're still probably going to be a good team and they probably just played a weird game. I'm, I'm two for two. <laughs> so... I'm kind of split here. In my in my gut feeling, I still think the Bills are borderline the favorites to win. I mean, we got to see how Kansas City looks this week, and you know, they get Jacksonville, but you know, crazy shit can happen. I don't know, man. I'm kind of I'm kind of stuck between these two schools of thought. I'm, dude. I gotta say, I think the Bills are. I think they're for real, but I have to say that something they they had a big crack in in their armor in that second quarter, and. I just want to run through this in the times with you guys real quick. Field goal, 730 left in the, in the second quarter. Field goal, 215 left in the second quarter. Field goal, 115 left in the second quarter. Touchdown, 33 seconds left in the second quarter. These are all, like, that is a crazy seven-minute span of, of just a, a football game. Yeah. If that's, if that's a better team, if that's the Chiefs, they're getting at least three touchdowns out of mm-hmm. four possessions. And so I think the point is their defense did a great job and, and did what they could um, in, in certain scenarios, like it just to hold them to a field goal. The old teams of field goals, you can find a way to win, right? That's just typically how it is. You talked about that earlier. I just think that if the Bills play like this against someone else, they are going to be had. So it gives teams the thought that, all right, we just got to crack the armor. But I think you're right. I think this is the lowest they'll play almost all year, uh, like, like for the rest of the year, I'm saying. And I, I expect the Bills to turn around, but, man, I was concerned as hell. Um, thank and, God they were holding and, them to field goals. And you're right. And I also want to add this, too. I think the Dolphins are a weird matchup for them, right? Because, look, obviously Tua is better than Skylar Thompson. Um, and, and but to your point earlier, Skylar played pretty well. Yeah. But he did. And and what I kind of loved was in years past, you would have a backup quarterback playing and, and the, off, the, the coach would look to, to kind of protect him 
You know, like, oh, we'll only give them half the playbook. We'll try to simplify things for them. And what a lot more modern people are saying is like, you know what? Fuck it. We're giving you the playbook, man. We're going to let you go out there and see if you can make some magic happen. And they damn near almost did. Now, obviously, the touchdown in the fourth quarter made it seem like this game was a little bit closer in the end. I mean, the Bills were up 10 going into the fourth quarter, and the defense mm-hmm. ended up helping them out, kind of closing out the game for the rest of the way. Um but I will say, I think the Dolphins in particular were a bad matchup for them, right? Where, where are they at their weakest? Um, or where is their secondary in particular at their weakest? Well, they're down multiple guys in the secondary, DeMar Hamlin amongst others. They have Tredavious White coming back off of an ACL tear, and he's starting to kind of look like that all-pro corner he once was, uh, but he's still not quite there yet. And the types of wide receivers that they have really struggled with have been these burners, right? Tyree Kill. Right. Tyree Kill used to eat them alive when he was on Kansas City. Now Tyree Kill's in Miami. Same thing. But then you have another guy on the opposite side in Jalen Waddle who can burn you. Right. So I think the Dolphins, because in each one of these games that they played, they were close games. Right. Um, Because Miami won the first one. And then the second one was a field goal game that Buffalo held on to and won at the last second. And then this game ended up being closer than people think. So I think schematically it's a bad matchup for them. Uh, and I do think they'll play better. But the biggest thing for me and, and Vito to what you were saying there, the turnover battle is like the biggest thing. And that all comes down to Josh Allen. Now, the first two interceptions were not Josh Allen's fault, but the fumble at the end of the first half that led to the touchdown for Miami that all of a sudden, wait, Miami's in this game and it's wait, how Miami's winning right now or they're tied. How the hell did that happen? that was a big like kind of momentum swing in that game. And if Josh Allen turns the ball over against Kansas city against Cincinnati this week. Yeah, you're right. They're not going to win those games. Yeah. And it wasn't even, I mean, you talk about the turnovers, but even some of the, the the decision-making that went into it, man, like some of that, the the first half I walked away from it and and I was just like, Josh Allen does not look like the Josh Allen we know. Um, and they were letting him run a little bit more and get in rhythm, which I think helped in the second half uh, because it, it helped, you know, him calm whatever the hell was going on in between the years. And then, you know, then the helps schematically open up some of the, uh, some of the uh, passing game for him. But, but yeah, it was, it was some of those decisions that, that I thought were weird. It looked like that, that game the Aaron Rodgers had against the Lions where I was like, he ain't right. <laughs> no. Uh-huh. And, and I think Cincinnati is going to be the toughest tester. Now, look, Cincinnati is now down three starting offensive linemen. And even without Von Miller, this Bills defensive line is still pretty damn good. Ed Oliver in the middle is still a game changer. Uh, Greg Russo on the outside, right? They, they have guys, Matt Milano at the linebacker position, one of the best linebackers in football. He got, I think, second team all pro honors, which were absolutely well-deserved because he has he's one of those guys that hasn't gotten a ton of credit in that interior linebacker position. Totally deserve it of him. Um, but I think Cincinnati's a tougher matchup because when they play Kansas City, them and Kansas City are kind of built similarly on offense where it's like all of a sudden out of nowhere, there's a minute left in the first half and they somehow go down and score every time. Like somehow Josh Allen pushes the ball 40 yards downfield. They get up, run to the line of scrimmage, boom, 20 yards, boom. Next thing you know, they're in field goal range. They take a couple shots in the end zone. Half the time they hit in the end zone. If not, they at least get points before, you know, the first half. And they do it so like it looks effortless. Obviously, it's way more complicated than we understand. But that's how good Josh Allen and Pat Mahomes are. And for me, it's more of that concern of like Josh Allen knows how good he is. And he knows at any point in time, he can be able to go down there and make Superman type throws. And against Cincinnati, that's going to be tough for them to try to 
for him to do because if he's going to turn the ball against Cincinnati, Cincinnati's going to make him pay. And obviously we have no idea what that game would have ended up being that Monday night game a few weeks ago, but my, you know, Cincinnati was able to move the ball and Buffalo's defense hasn't looked great in the last month of the season. And obviously this week against Skylar Thompson matched up against the Bengals team that is super banged up and, and they're going to be able to get pressure against Joe Burrow and they're not going to be able to run the ball as effectively, which is going to set up a really interesting matchup here on Sunday. And I'm, I'm super excited for that game. Um, but I do think both of these, you know, both Buffalo and Cincinnati have a, have a good chance of beating Kansas city, but I, it's just one of those things where if Buffalo's defense plays like this and Josh Allen turns the ball over, you, you said, Vito, you said it perfectly. They're not going to be a better team. If, if they're playing a team that is more talented, at least at the quarterback position than Miami, which Joe Burrow, Patrick Mahomes, and then whoever they play in the, in the Super Bowl. They're all going to be better quarterbacks than Skylar Thompson. And you better hope that Josh Allen protects the football a little bit more because combined this year between interceptions and fumbles, Josh Allen has 30 turnovers. Yeah. That's so, uh, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah. That, 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 that one froze the pot, I think, for a second. I think the Zoom, I think <laughs> Zoom so crashed. But you, don't, you don't expect like so, an MVP like a, candidate like that to have that many turnovers either, right? So I – and some of them aren't his p- fault, like the, the two in this game, right? Both hit off of wide receiver's hands. One hit Cole Beasley square in the chest, and he dropped it. You know, like that's not Josh Allen's fault. Um, and I think that's part of this thing with this Buffalo team is that they typically play pretty loose, right, which I think makes them really dangerous on offense. Uh, and I think Kansas City is very much the same way, but you also have to kind of be tight and a little more, more precisioned because those turnovers against the better team, you're not going to win that football game. Dude, that um, is more turnovers than Jamarcus Russell had his rookie year. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, th- this, and yet they've won 14 Oh, wait, games. no, he had a little more fumbles. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But still, but still. But yeah. Very I, comparable. But they still went 13 Damn. and three. Yeah, and, and he's they're still now an 14 MVP and three candidate. in the playoffs. Yeah. <laughs> he's still one of the best players in the NFL, which goes to this idea of just how fucking amazing Josh Allen is. He just needs to learn when to take the Superman cape, cape off a little bit more because I do think the Bills' defense, even if it's not one of the top two or three defenses left in the playoffs, I do think that defense is really good. And I think it's good enough to win them a Super Bowl, but not if you put the defense in bad situations by turning the ball over. And that's going to be the ultimate outcome of this game. Because, like, in the second half, the Bills' defense played really solid. Um, They didn't close out the game well running the football, which is something I would have liked to have seen a little bit more from Buffalo. But the one thing about Josh Allen, right, is he makes the plays every single time he needs to. It's the thing we talked about in the AFC uh, divisional round game last year between Kansas City and Buffalo, right? Whoever was going to win the coin flip was going to win that game. Josh Allen played that game perfectly in Arrowhead last year. He just didn't get the opportunity to go down there and try to score a touchdown and win the game. That's not all. I mean, Josh Allen did everything right to win the football game except for losing the coin toss. And that's kind of who he's become in big moments. And what's crazy is there are three of those guys left in the AFC playoffs. Joe Burrow, Patrick Mahomes, Jeez. and Josh Allen are all three yeah. guys who make the right decisions and make big-time plays at the end of the half and at the end of games to keep your team in it. It's games like like that too last year where honestly I know this is a, a random thought right here, but I wish they did like a third place game 
in the NFL playoffs just yeah. to see. I thought about that sometimes, last week. Dude, sometimes there are teams where you're like, yeah, like last year, it would have been great to see Josh Allen take that, whoever it was on the NFC side Green, last year. But. No, who was? Uh, San Francisco. It would have been the Niners. Did yeah. You guys lose? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it would have been, it would have been yeah. Green Bay and San Francisco. Yeah. Would have been a great game. And it, it, whatever it would be, it would be a great game this year too. Um, I mean, I again, credit to the Bills, man. They had nothing to really yeah. play for. And the, I mean, not to say they had nothing to play for. Obviously, it's a playoffs. And like, hey, you, you get a ticket to the yeah, dance. Yeah, everything to play for. You get a ticket to the dance. You're going full full blow. Um, and look, they looked like they were going to go down there and, and kick a field goal. I think they were where? Like at, at the 50 or 40, somewhere around there. Fourth and one. Like fourth and inches, honestly. And they got delay of game, right? The, the amount of delay of game calls, I think there were three in the fourth quarter alone for Miami. Yeah, well, that was because they had blown all their timeouts trying not to get delay of game calls in the third quarter. Seriously. Which, and some of that comes with, I, I think Buffalo was an absolute madhouse in that game. Um, but then the other part of that, I think, comes from having a third string quarterback in there. You know, if that's Tua, it might get a little bit easier. Um, last note on this game, I don't know if you guys saw this, but it was highly debated on Twitter. Did you see the clip of Mike Daniel, Mike McDaniel allegedly vaping on the sidelines? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I wouldn't he, put it past him. I didn't I didn't think he was vaping. I didn't think so either, but I they also cut away say, I don't just have a problem in time. if he is because it's outdoors. So I'm just letting you know, I don't care if you are or not, because I think you're fine. And like how many coaches <laughs> do you see? Oh, that dude's got a fucking massive lip in right now. Like yeah, you know, or how many exactly. coaches used to rip cigarettes on the sidelines. But so I, from a conspiracy Jeff standpoint here, I have two thoughts, right? I'm like left normal side of my brain's going, I think he was just blowing into his hands. Like he brought it up and he's, he, he just kind of had his hand in front of his mouth and you're kind of like, I don't, I, and then it cuts away, but the cutaway was so specific and all the camera guys know things that we don't see because they have the cameras rolling and all the producers and everything, they see it all ahead of us. So they, it, they would have known that Mike McDaniel is vaping on the sidelines. Um, but there were no, there were no other videos or anything corroborating this story, which I, I kind of wanted to know. Uh, all right, let's go to the next game. Giants, Vikings, Giants, 31 Vikings, 24. Um, and the Vikings are frauds. The Vikings are, Vikings we are frauds. We, we can say it now, right? I mean, that's, it's what I've been saying all year, right? And it's, <laughs> but it's not just me. It's what everyone no. who's been watching football has been saying. This team went 13 and four with a minus 19 point differential. Like, this team is not and has not no. been good, but they've been great at these one score games. And it was so fitting that the game ended the way that it did with Kirk Cousins on fourth and eight, throwing four yards short of the sticks with the season on the line. And either maybe they, he didn't know the timeout situation. Maybe he didn't know the clock. But the see that was the game. Like if they if they didn't get a first down, the season's over because they were out of timeouts. The Giants kneel on it three times, and that's the game. So, I, I to me, it's just like this is what the Vikings. Did, did you hear his explanation? His explanation was like, um, I could like I, there was pressure. I had to get rid of it, and uh, I figured like that's not the worst thing. We could break a tackle and make it. But like I and, and I thought the same. I'm like. Dude, for your season to be on the line, for you to take that up, for you to know the play call that the only thing you have are like some deeper routes in this and and you know exactly what's happening, your season's on the line. You can't just like kind of wash that away. No. You can't just kind of say like, oh, well, I thought he would have broken the thing. Listen, man, that's that's uh that says a lot. And and um he played a Kurt didn't play a terrible game, but I, no, I he played a Kurt Cousins game. 
Yeah, exactly. Because that's what Kirk Cousins does every time. He plays a good – you look at the box score after the game, say, oh, threw for 300 yards, two touchdowns, zero picks. 81 of 39. Yeah, like, yeah 80, 85% you know, completion percentage. He, he did what he needed to do. And then in the biggest moment of the game, instead of saying, hey, where's Justin Jefferson? I'm throwing to Justin Jefferson and nobody else. He throws four yards short of the sticks. It was on. It was. It was just so yeah. perfect, right? And, and a team that, in every single game that they won, except for two this year, was a one-score game. They had zero losses this year that were one-score games. This was their first loss of the season that was a one-score game. It was the perfect like return to the mean, right? Like regression <laughs> game where it's like you've had eleven wins this year in one-possession games and zero losses. Thank God the regression of the mean came when it did. Um, and it was it was beautiful. The defense was ranked 31st in DVOA, um, which historically, I think there was one other team that ever ranked that low that made the playoffs in, in defensive DVOA, which is like the overall, like, are you a good team on that side of the ball stat? Like, it, it, <laughs> it takes a little bit of everything and mashes it together into a, you know, a percentage. Um they were 31st in the NFL in defensive DVOA. They were 31st in the NFL in um, uh, receiving and, and passing coverage. They were a bad, bad defense with a really with really good pieces on offense and a mediocre to pretty good quarterback. Maybe not mediocre, a good to pretty good quarterback. Mm-hmm. Um, and and they, they end up losing to a team that's incredibly well coached, that played really good defense, that can run the football. Uh, and a quarterback who is limited, but you know what? He's coached to do the right things, ran for 78 yards, and ended up carrying them on a way to, to a win. And credit to the Giants. Like, in no way is me are, is opening this up with the Vikings taking anything away from the Giants. The Giants played a really, really good football game. Um, they almost lost it at the end, Darius Slayton dropping that wide-open pass on third and 15 mm-hmm. to pretty much ice the game. But they still got away because Kirk Cousins is going to Kirk Cousins. Dude, they played an incredible game. Um, I thought that was just a – it was a great overall team win. I really loved I, – I mean, obviously, seeing Saquon. But what was crazy was Daniel Jones. Like, Daniel Jones looked – I'll put it this way. On – he had – what is this now? 52 snaps where he either threw the ball or ran the ball. He had, he led the team in carries. I mean, he he – was all over the place. Saquon was Saquon. I mean, I wish they gave it to him more. He had two touchdowns off nine carries, but still like Daniel Jones's play is what excited me the most about this guy. Maybe he is a playoff gamer. Maybe we're going to find something out about him, but like, I really liked what I saw out of him. Um, again, I think your point earlier, Jeff, is that uh, maybe the defense isn't what he's going to face the rest of the playoff runs. It, it's drastic Could be. them to Philly, but uh, at the same time, it was cool to see the game plan, and, and it was good to see that work out. I liked seeing this team play a playoff game. They played traditional. Fo- you could have you could have picked this team up in this offensive and defensive performance and put it in two thousand and four or nineteen ninety four, and they would have been okay. Like they would have looked like the era. They're playing a classic style of football. Yeah, well, the, one of the guys I was watching with uh, my my cousin in law, I guess Pete. Uh, Peter, he's a, a big Giants fan, and he was like, Daniel Jones has matured to the point where he is like close to Eli Manning. And I was like, you know what? That's not wrong, man. Like, he'll win you games. That's interesting. That's interesting. 
Yeah. Um, here's, here's what I'll say. Dan, first of all, tons of respect for Daniel Jones played fantastic. Um, and as a quarterback and in an in, in offense in the NFL, you can only take what the defense is going to give you, right? So if the defense is going to give you a 15 yard jag drag route, 10 times in a football game, you're going to hit it 10 times in a, or nine times. Cause Darius Slayton dropped the last one or however many it was, <laughs> but you're going to hit it there every single time. And he did exactly what he was supposed to do. And he's a really good athlete. And you know what? This is where Mike Kafka and Brian Dable deserve a ton of credit because I think a big reason why Daniel Jones feels that much more of a weapon running as a quarterback now is because of how much better he's developed as a passer, not turning the ball over, right? That's a huge thing for Daniel Jones. His first two years, three years in the league, all he did was turn the ball over. And like he, the amount of fumbles, what do you have? Like 15, yeah. 16 fumbles, right? He constantly turned the, the football over. So having uh, a quarterback who now is protecting the football maybe isn't making these Justin Herbert or Joe Burrow or unbelievable type passes and plays, but is doing enough to carry your team to wins and, and to give you winning football that forces defenses to completely adjust how they cover you, right? Because you have to respect them on the little things. It's not just, Oh, they're trotting this bust out here. Again, the defensive line is going to eat. We're going to send seven guys at him every third play. We're going to make his life help because we know he's going to fuck up and turn the ball over. He hasn't been doing that this year. So defenses haven't been able to pressure him as much. The offensive line for them has been a lot better this year. Andrew Thomas played well. Evan Neal struggled in the first half of the season, got a little banged up. He's come back as playing well. Saquon being healthy is the biggest godsend because when everything else breaks down, you always have to check down to Saquon. That seems to be open. Uh, and then from a defensive standpoint, you're so focused on, all right, well, we have to respect Saquon, even though they're running Isaiah Hodges and Darius Slayton and these random ass Richie James and these random wide receivers, Daniel Jones is still throwing it to them. So we can't play super soft. And next thing you know, everyone's covered. Daniel Jones slips out. He's got 15 yards ahead of him. He slides for a first down on third and seven and you're screwed. Right. And that seemed to be the theme over and over again, which is what makes them a dangerous team for anybody. Because I said this in like week two, after they won that game against Tennessee, I forget who they beat in uh, in uh, week two. That was a close game as well. But immediately you could tell Brian Dable has this team playing really, really fundamentally like perfect football. And ultimately, like we said about Seattle, if they're going to make a run, if they're going to beat Philly this week, they have to play a perfect game. They just have to. They don't have the talent. They don't have the horses to be able to do it otherwise. But with a guy like Daniel Jones who can scramble and run for 78 yards in a playoff game, in addition to throw for 300 yards in a playoff game and not turn the ball over, that's going to be a dangerous weapon. And I don't think it's crazy to say Daniel Jones was the best quarterback this weekend statistically. Maybe you'd argue Dak on Monday night because Dak did play really, really well on Monday. But at least from Saturday and Sunday, Daniel Jones looked as good as anybody. Um, yeah. And, that's and that wow i haven't thought about it like that i mean yeah he looked like probably the best quarterback i'm wondering now though if like that's a lot on a guy who's going to go up against a great deal this week will be a good test for him because this is really going to stretch him to his his limit both intellectually and physically against the eagles wow he's he's going to have maybe one of those career games where if it goes terribly you know this is an important year and he's played well hasn't turned the ball over but um, we'll see what happens. 
when it goes back to the cliche thing that people said about Brady for years, right. And Peyton Manning, which was like, well, if you can get after them with four, then, you know, that's the recipe to beating Tom Brady is being able to pressure them with just four. Then you have to drop more guys in. And it's like, yes, that's become a very cliche, cliche, obvious thing to say, but again, cliches become cliches because there's truth in them, right? (laughs) Like every cliche that's ever been said in any context is said because there's truth in them and they tend to exist over time. And obviously there's more than just being able to get after quarter after the quarterback with four. But if you do play a team like Philly who beat this team by 26 points, just five weeks ago. Right. Um, and then from a, you know, they didn't execute in the red zone, but before the second, I dominated the backups and everything else. And the Eagles are playing half their starters dominated them in the first half, just didn't score enough touchdowns in the first half to put them away you know, Jake Elliott kicks five field goals. Like they're going to play a team now that's going to be able to get after him. The offensive line. I mean, that game in week 18, like uh, Davis Mills or not Davis Mills, Davis Webb running around like a chicken with his head cut off and was avoiding tacklers. And Daniel, Danny Dimes going to have to do some of that because the giants started their normal starting offensive line in week 18. Right. So they're going to have to do that with Danny Dimes going up against a really good Eagles front and, Saquon's a huge difference maker. If Saquon has one of those monster games, that can change a lot of things. Um, but similar to what we said with the Seahawks, right? No matter how you cut it, this giant season has been awesome for them, right? Like it, for, for where they were, I picked them to finish last in the NFC East. I think I had them winning four games this year. Uh, I loved Brayball, Dayball as a signing. Never in my you know, wildest dreams that I think I'd be sitting here saying in week one of the playoffs, that Danny Dimes was the best quarterback, but based after what we saw, like, I think that's true. Wow. Yeah. Good for him, man. Good for yeah. him. Cause he's got a lot of shit. In two years. Um, if you're Minnesota, where do you go from here? Uh, I would look to uh, Justin Jefferson first, but Kirk cousins didn't do that in the fourth quarter. No, no, he didn't. Um, but as an organization, as a front office, where do you go from here? Right. Do you, I guess invest <laughs> and you got to invest in the, in, in the defense. They need more pieces on defense. They did a little bit of that last year. Maybe you look at a change of defensive coordinator. You had a first year head coach who exceeded expectations impressively. Um, I just, I don't really know where you go. No, because you seem content to like win those one score games. And then you get you get in a situation where you for as bad as they played, found themselves in one and then didn't pull it off. Right. Like it, it, you start thinking that like, hey, maybe if we're actually a, a really like balanced team, a stacked team on defense as well. Maybe we don't win 13 games because Kirk Cousins is not in that situation on offense where he has to go down and win games for it. I also think it's just like when you look year to year teams that do this and I don't have, I, I, I will look into this for the next pod, but like there are a lot of teams that do this. They'll win eight out of 10, one possession, one possession games, or this year, you know, they, they win all these one possession games the next year. They never do as well. It's impossible yeah. to replicate that. That's, that's not like, gonna be their staple for the next few that's not what belichick won on for a decade you know what i mean it's not a thing to hang your hat on so i do think that minnesota is gonna have a lot of looking in the mirror because all these people like uh, like you're saying and, and everyone else who's like man they've been frauds all year that's there's got to be someone in that organization being like like 
has to have that same feeling of, man, we got lucky a lot, right? They might say it differently, but they're going to say it. They're going to say, we got lucky a lot. We're not as good as we think we are. If we can't even win a playoff game. And, and I think it's going to take a lot of looks in the mirror. I mean, the fact that they couldn't get Dalvin cook really going. Um, I think that's going to be something they look into like, man, we got to run the ball a lot more in a playoff game like this. I mean, I, I, I think just, just some other aspects of, of like what their team is focused around. Right. Cause they're going to have to make acquisitions for the, the defense for sure. Yeah. And then on the offensive side, I think it's almost, you're going to have to look at how you play those games to Scotty's point of like, we can't be, we can't have this many possessions every game. I, I think you hit it on the head, Vito. And and the way I was going to phrase it was not dissimilar to you. It's just that if you replayed this season all over again, what's the Vikings record? <laughs> that's a good game. Like right? if you simulated it in Madden a hundred times. That's, and that's what I'm saying, right? Yeah. <laughs> like this was the outlier season in, in a Madden season where you're like, wait, this team I'm playing in franchise mode is like, like they're not that good, but they're like in the Super Bowl. I'm playing against them. You're like, how does that happen? Like this was that outlier season where they just won all these really close one score games. If you replayed it, ten maybe ten wins because I do think that offense is really good, but the defense is so bad. So I'd say they're probably in that nine to ten win range to the point where maybe we would have been talking about like the Detroit Lions and green Bay game could have been like a dark horse to try to win the division. Right. Like there's so much difference that could have gone on not to take anything away. Like, I think if you're a Vikings fan, you come out of the season and go, that was a fucking awesome season. I just had so much fun. Like every game was exciting. We had crazy comebacks. We had two of the most impressive and amazing comebacks I've ever seen in NFL history in this season. And yeah, you know what? Deep down, I bet you, if you ask them honestly, they would say, yeah, no, we weren't that good. We knew we weren't that good. Yeah. You know what? We won those games and they did. And you'll never take that mm-hmm. away from them. Cause if you're not right. a perennial contender, if you're not one of those teams, like seasons like this are ones that you're going to remember in 10 years. Like, damn, you remember that year when all this crazy shit happened and somehow we were 13 and four. Like, so I, I think, and you put it well there, Vito, like talking about in the future, like this is not sustainable. And I think they know that. And I don't know if you, you I don't think they're going to move on from Kirk. I, I, long-term I still don't think Kirk Cousins is the answer but the offense definitely isn't the problem so maybe you look again hey how can we beef up our offensive line Christian Darius I was good I mean they were on their their normal starting center who played last minute but who was playing hurt going up against Dexter Lawrence who's just become like an absolute game wrecker I mean Dexter Lawrence playing you know one technique there on the interior defensive line at almost 300 pounds and he played over 50 snaps in this game that is that, outrageously, outrageously good. Um, so the, the Vikings probably need to address something on the offensive line. But ultimately, I think as long as Kirk Cousins is your quarterback, you're going to be in games where it's fourth and eight and it's your last chance and he's going to throw short of the sticks because he's been <laughs> doing it for 10 years. And I heard uh, on an Eagles podcast I was listening to about this and they said it's very Tony Romo-like. And you know what? I think – Kirk Cousins has officially become Tony Romo. Because remember how Tony Romo's career went, right? The first couple of years, you're like, yeah. hey, is this guy the really? The drop goal thing. But it's, but it's also, it's like, is this guy actually good? And then by the end of the, his, like, as he kind of became the starter there for a few years, you're like, no, like, he's, he's a really good statistical quarterback. Never played well in the postseason. Uh, never played well in big games. And Kirk Cousins, I think, is a little bit of that Tony Romo. I'll say this. I think Tony Romo was better. but Yeah, um, Tony was more of an athlete, too. But, yeah, yeah. But yeah. I'll, but I'll say about saying. Kirk Cousins, like, statistically, like, Kirk is still putting up good numbers. Um, all right, we got two more games left here. Ravens, Bengals. Uh, 
this was just a classic AFC North battle, right? That's, that's kind of how this game comes down to. And ultimately, there's one play, right? There was one play that completely changed this game. Sam Hubbard, stri- the stripping of the ball of Tyler Huntley, taking a, a, a QB sneak from the two-yard line with Tyler Huntley. A little bit weird of a play call. I kind of get what they were trying to do, try to get to the one. Why Tyler Huntley tried to be like, oh, well, I watched Trevor Lawrence do this last night. I can do this too. It's like, no, dude, you're like 5'11". Trevor Lawrence is like six, five and a half uh, with the wingspan of like seven feet. Like, yeah, no, you, you can't do that. Um, But that was the biggest play. Uh, And uh, I forget who, I forget which player for um, Cincinnati knocked the ball out. Sam Hubbard. Well, no, Sam Hubbard. Oh, he didn't knock it out. Yeah. 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 Um, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know who exactly. It might've been Jesse Bates, the the safety Um, Mm. made amazing play, knocks the ball out. Sam Hubbard takes it 99 yards for the touchdown. Love seeing big men run it across. I remember Mike Patterson had one against your Niners, Scotty, 98 yards. And Mike Patterson was a D tackle and he was, he was more like a nose tackle. It was like watching Vince Wilfork huff it 98 yards down the other side. Um, But this was a classic game. And again, this Bengals team, and it's, they kind of have this like Miami heat thing going on now where it's like the sum, uh, like the, the total is bigger than the sum of their parts. It doesn't really make sense. Obviously, you have Jamar Chase, you have T. Higgins, but like, wasn't like Joe Burrow was out there having the best career day. I think Tyler Huntley actually threw for more yards than Joe Burrow did in this game. Um, but when it, when they need it, the Bengals just always seem to find ways to win games in the playoffs. And and some of that's Joe Burrow, but I think part of that's also how Zach Taylor and this team kind of operate. Totally. I'm, I'm also hearing from Zach Parker. It was uh, Logan Wilson with the forced fumble. So there shout out. Thank you, Zach um, Parker. Uh, but yeah, I, I think overall this was, it, it's it, like when you said this is a classic AFC North battle, I'm like, yes. But I also was like, I can't believe the Bengals are in the AFC North. Like this style of like, they play every other team. I feel like different. And then they get to these AFC North battles and they're like held back in this sludge. Right. Like, because it, it is such a different style of, of game. I, I thought the Ravens played this really well. I mean, Shout out to Huntley. I mean, that was that was definitely a better game than I thought he would play. I gotta yeah. just personally say that, and he kept him in that. Um, I, they had a lot of. Uh, it was interesting. J.K. Dobbins was all over the field. I really like seeing him back out there uh, performing well. But um, you know, at the end of the day, I, it was just shocking after all the success that that had happened throughout the game for the Ravens. Um, to when it got down to like what was it that like. Fourth quarter, I think they had, they had one score right late in the third. And then in the fourth quarter, they didn't even get a field goal. They didn't get anything. And, like, just the Bengals' defense, this happened last year in the playoffs. Everyone, You know, Burrow obviously went off, but their defense stepped up. And, and I got to say, I, I'm really impressed with what their defense did um, in the fourth quarter and, and just throughout the whole game really keeping them in this because, I like, this wasn't the offense's best game. And you'll probably expect more points out of Burrow moving forward, but um, really impressive uh, to see that defense step up again. And and I don't know, they definitely didn't hold teams to 17 points every week. So uh, yeah, you're playing a backup. He played well though. And, and I thought that was impressive for me. Yeah. And I mean, look at the end, it's, it's one of those things where the better team wins, right? Like Cincinnati is just straight up a better team than, than the dolphin or than, uh, than the Ravens, even with, I think Lamar out there, um, which, which is going to be another question mark for the Ravens going into the offseason. So we'll see there. But I thought it was smart of him uh, not to play. Um, but, hey, you know, this is what I was saying. The Ravens can get their offense 
uh, running a little bit, um, it's it's going to cause po- problems because we know how good the defense has been over the over the back half of the season here. Uh, one of the one of the top five defenses in the league for sure. So uh, going up against a good red zone defense, and I think obviously what we saw that that was the difference in the game, right? Uh, with the with the turnover and uh, strip sack or the fumble that that was returned for the for the touchdown. So yeah, uh, I mean B- Baltimore's defense has gotten so good. Like adding Roquan Smith, and and I know there's a lot of you know Baltimore people upset with the contract stuff. Hey, you're giving Roquan Smith a hundred million dollars. It's a six year, hundred million dollar contract, yeah, right? So he's the great annual, too. the the average annual value of that contract is not crazy. So I, I think you're you're going to be fine if you still want to pay Lamar. You can still pay Lamar. Um, Kyle Hamilton led the team in tackles in this uh, in this game. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago, but the most under talked rookie of the season. He's been playing really really well and Roquan allows him to do so much more uh and I think the fact that the Bengals are able to win this game despite the offense not playing its best but doing enough against a really 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 good defense like I think the only defense right now that might be better than San Francisco is Baltimore I I genuinely believe that I Baltimore doesn't really have any weaknesses on that defense right now they're they don't quite have the pass rushers that um that San Francisco does but they can generate just as much pressure and they're they're as good on the linebacker they're as good in the linebacker room and their secondary is better and their safety position is better so I think all across the board I think Baltimore is probably a better pound for pound defense and the fact that the Bengals still find a way to win this but that their defense stepped up the fact that their defensive line is healthy, having Sam Hubbard and Trey Hendrickson both healthy is huge for them. Um, Logan Wilson, you have Jesse Bates in the backfield. I mean, Eli Apple is obviously still the biggest weak point for them. It's and at the cornerback position, but all in all, you, you look at what this Bengals team is doing and they're knack to just win these close games. And they did, that was the run last year. And you know what, when you see it enough times, right, it goes from being an anomaly to being a rare occurrence to then being like, no, this is just what this team does in the postseason. And they did it against the Raiders in the postseason last year. They did it against the, uh, the Tennessee Titans in the postseason again, uh, last year. They did it against the chiefs in the postseason last year. And they damn near did it to the Rams in the super bowl. If it wasn't for Aaron Donald going absolute beast mode and, and destroying everybody else. And now we saw them do it again. Right. And in a game they had to win in week 18, they found a way to beat the Ravens. And then playing that same team a week later in the postseason, they did it again. Beating the same team, fierce rival in your in your division with a defense as good as Baltimore in back-to-back weeks is huge, especially considering that a home field advantage was on the line. So week 18 was as important as a playoff game to Cincinnati. And now this game, which was a playoff game, they had to win them both. They did. It's what this team does, man. And next week, they're going up against another team that does the same shit with a quarterback yeah, and, who does the same thing. And for your theory, it's two teams that looked shaky playing each other um, in the second game of the playoffs. So who, who is it going to be? I'm excited yeah. to break that down on Friday. Uh, let's touch on quick here. I got to roll. We got to wrap up the pod here in just a minute, but I do at least want to touch on Cowboys Bucks. Um, Dak looked good after the first two drives. Uh, neither team looked good on the first two drives. There were zero positive plays from scrimmage through the first four drives of this game. Uh, both teams went three and out twice. 
Uh, and then the Bucks. I think Tony Pollard had like a two yard run and that was the first positive play. It was like three. I think it was like five incompletions for the Cowboys and then one tackle for a loss on a run play. Uh, and then like I think it was the same thing for, for the Bucks. So the start of this game was a little ugly. I'm not going to lie. I did think after the Cowboys went three and out, I'm like, oh, Bucks got it. I was like, Tom Brady, they're going to do it. Of course, it's going to happen. And then they went three and out. But the real game changer here was Bucks. They're down six nothing after the uh, first of four missed extra points from Brett Maher. Uh, and Tampa Bay goes on a long drive. They're in rhythm. They offense looks pretty good. And Tom Brady with one of those either miscommunication or he got hit as he threw. I still don't think we know exactly what happened on that interception, um, but that kind of felt like the game, right? Cause the Cowboys offense was clicking at that point. Um, you could start to kind of feel it. And then the turnover after a long drive, when it felt like the bucks had to work for every first down, like every first down felt like so much more difficult than it did for the Cowboys. Uh, but to me, it's what I've been saying about this Cowboys team all year. The Cowboys are either juggernauts or they're a sub-500 team. There is no in-between with this team. They either look unbelievable or they look terrible. And they came out, and the offense, they looked really, really good, man. They looked really, really good. Five touchdowns for Dak. He played flawless football. It's the first time he's looked this good since the game against the Eagles on Christmas Eve. But what happened after that game? Back-to-back stinker performances against Tennessee and against Washington. So he's going to have a much tougher test going up against San Francisco next week in that pass rush. But for now, the Cowboys, I'm still not sold on that defense either. I I know they've looked good, but Tom Brady, and that's been the biggest change in Tom Brady this year. Tom Brady would sit in the pocket and take every single hit, right? He was, even if it sucked, even if he took one right to the fucking chest, He sat there, he took the hit, but he delivered the throw. Tom Brady was petrified of getting hit all year. And that was the biggest difference. It wasn't in the arm talent. It wasn't in reading the field. He just didn't want to get hit. And you know what? At 46 years old, I can't blame the guy, but that did seem to be a big, the major difference. And we saw it last night with Demarcus Lawrence and, and Micah Parsons getting after him. Yeah, they, they got after him and, and to Parsons, a lot of times, uh, especially on defensive players, right? Announcers will overhype one guy and just, oh, this is the guy we're going to talk about every time he's in the play and not mention anyone else. But Parsons really was all over the field. Like, he really is, when you watch that game, crazy all over. But I have never seen a game where it didn't matter. as Literally, this did not matter at all. But that kicking from Bette Mayer was, I mean, that's brutal. Listen, we don't, we don't, everyone has bad days in whatever profession you're in. If you just don't have to deal with a stadium full of people looking at you and following you millions online watching. So like shout out to Brett, like hope you're doing okay. But at the same time, like do, are the Cowboys going to go with them next game? I mean, listen, he's been he consistent. Missed, he only missed two so. all year, man. Yeah. And, but is this just because, and they let him go out there and get one at the end, which was wild. I couldn't even believe that. He needed that but, though, man. Yeah. And I think that that says it all right. Like, Hey, listen, Thank God this didn't come down to it because I guarantee you a game will this postseason and we need you then. And yeah. I thought, I just thought it was a really good moment in all the sports where it's transfer portal in college. It's not good. Move on all that stuff. We're firing coaches more often than ever. Just good for the Cowboys for being like, get out there take another kick and, and let's see how you do next week. And what's great about this too, is it cements the fact that Mike McCarthy will be returning next year. Because again, as I always say with Mike McCarthy, I was right last <laughs> year and I'm going to be right again this year. There's going to be one time. There's going to be one time in a crucial moment 
and he's going to shit down his pants. And I hope it's next week. Uh, but there's Be also two. a small, not going to lie. There's not a, there's just, there's, there's a small piece of me that the idea of beating the giants and the Cowboys on the way to being in a Super Bowl would feel really fucking good. But also that's why I, I'm terrified of playing the giants this week. And we'll talk about that, but um, yeah. And it's funny too. Cause when all that shit happened, Vito, all the missed extra points in my head, I'm like, yeah, no, this isn't like setting up for a classic storybook Tom Brady comeback at all. No, like, what are you right. talking about? Like, because it just felt like, man, it did. This, it, yeah. it's getting eerie. Like, of course, this, he was like, a- Trevor Lawrence did what? I'm going to show you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, all right. Anything well, else? Got- for, yeah, Scotty, I, I want to get your g- thoughts on here and then we'll. When he got the, the he's got 28 3 in the Super Bowl under his belt. Uh, even uh, we, some of my friends from California were texting. And saying, oh, well, we're playing. It looks like we're playing the Cowboys. And I was like, I never know, man. Tom Brady um, in, in the same situation. But the best part of this game uh, was the uh, was the Manning cast uh, for me. Mm. That that was one of the best ones of the year. It was so good. Um, really well done. Coach Prime on there just for, for a good part of the game. It was it was just really good. Uh, and then Prime lastly, I hope Dan Campbell, too. Right. And yeah. Teddy yeah. Bruschi. yeah great. It was it was electric. And then I hope Russell Gage is OK, man. That had looked nasty. Yeah, uh, he did. He did reach out on social media today saying he's he's doing all right. Uh, I believe it ended up just being a concussion. Um, so considering what that could have been for that to be the end result is obviously uh, a big, big victory. Um, considering everything over the last few weeks we've seen yeah. uh, on, on Monday Night Football, and I'm sure Joe and Troy were both triggered a little bit, as I think a lot yeah. of people sitting Damn there watching that game. It's like you're sitting there like, oh, my God, like how can this – and uh, and thank God, thank God he's doing okay. Um, but hey, that's you know, it's what, it's what we said at the time, right? Well, as soon as football came back, we were all going to try to forget, and it's important to remember when that kind of shit happens. Um, but yeah, so now we're set up next week, uh, Saturday afternoon, Kansas City, Jacksonville, Saturday night, Birds, Giants, Sunday afternoon, we have Cincinnati and Buffalo, and Sunday night, we have San Francisco. Uh, no, do I have that backwards? Yeah, Niners are the first game. I thought all this. I thought all the. Oh NFC, wait, you're right. No, we're yeah. like six thirty. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, and then thank you. I was gonna say I was like, fuck you, man. What are we t- <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and then we have uh, our Dallas and San Francisco as the night game. A six yeah, thirty yeah. kickoff on a Sunday night. How great is that, man? It's gonna be awesome. Feels like we're on the West Coast for once. We never get that. So. Uh, all right. That's all we got for today. We will be back on Friday. Going to try to get everybody back on for that pod as well, since we are in the playoffs. Uh, also, a quick shout out. Friday will mark the two-year anniversary of the start of the podcast. So um, keep uh, keep it locked in for that. Our first ever podcast was the 2020 and 2021 season and the divisional round preview. That was the first ever episode we did. So uh, the technical anniversary is the 21st, but um, Friday will be the closest that we get to that since that is a Saturday. So uh, everyone have a great week. We will be back on Friday to break down, give our previews, our picks, uh, and get you ready for the divisional round. So we love you all. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to Scotty and Vito. And as always, take it easy, everybody. Peace.